theyeshiva.net. Okay, this mimer is the first mimer of this week's parsha, which is Lakutat Torah Parshas Acherimois. And it was said by the Balatanya on Shabbos Shuva, Shabbos Shuva Tovkuf Samach Beis, Shabbos Shuva eighteen o one. Shabbos Shuva is, of course, the Shabbos before Yom Kippur, and hence the Maimer began with a posik in Parshas Achrei Mois, which concerns Yom Kippur, since it's the parsha that deals with Yom Kippur. When the Lakuta Torah was published by his grandson, the Tzemach Tzedek, he took this discourse that his grandfather said on Shabbos Shuva, Tovkov Samach Beis, and he put it in the parsha of the week where this posik is said, which is Parshas Achrei Mois, that's why it's in Parshas Achrei. He begins with the famous posik that the Torah says when it wants to summarize the objective and the mission statement of Yom Kippur. On this day, He will forgive for you to cleanse you from all of your transgressions. Before Hashem, you shall become clean. You shall become pure. When it says, it's really out of the blue. Who's going to be mechaper on you? So we put in, well, it obviously means Hashem, but the Pasuk doesn't make any reference to that. It says, on that day, He will forgive you. It's not like it says right before Hashem, so you could say you're talking about that He. It says right after. after that, it says, Really, it should have said, If you want to repeat it again. But at the beginning of the Pasuk, he completely doesn't say who's going to forgive. You have to assume and speculate what well, has to be God. Like on this day, this He, this invisible, transcendent He, whom we're not sure who it is, is going to forgive you. Yom Kippur is the day of tshuva. The the concept of tshuva is what does tshuva mean? The word tshuva is usually translated in English as repentance, which is basically a person made mistakes or sinned and they have to repent. But that's not the real translation of tshuva. Tshuva comes from the word hashava, lahashav, like hashava saveda. It means to return. What are you returning? He says lahashiv nafshe. The real concept of tshuva is something completely different. The real objective of tshuva is something different. To return your soul to its own true source, to its own true identity. To return the godly soul of each person to the source from which it was hooned out, hooned out, from which it was chutzah, from which it was, so to speak, chiseled out, the way it was, the way it is, in other words, in its pristine state, before it went through a whole major evolution, until it descended into this world, enclosing itself in a physical body. Originally, what is the essence of the soul? It's absorbed 
in the source and in the root of all the worlds, which is the energy, the light of the infinite one, blessed be he. And the soul is completely absorbed in that light. That is its ultimate identity, that is its ultimate truth. Tshuva means, as a result of its journeys, the soul often gets distracted from who it really is. And the person gets distracted from who the soul really is. So what tshuva means is, tshuva is the work to be able to return, to restore yourself to your true self, to align your identity with its true nature, with its true essence and reality. So when he's saying it means return, we, we sometimes translate tshuva as return. He doesn't mean return as an indirect object, like I return to my house. He means return as, as a direct, to return like you return something, like you return a favor. Right. Not lashuv, but rather lahashiv. yeah. Yeah. It's not only returning to my house, even though that's also included in this, but it's almost like hashavas aveda, like something has been dislocated, you know, a located shoulder, a dislocated shoulder. You have to bring it back. Hashavas aveda, something was dislocated, or stolen, or lost from its owner, and you bring it back to where it really belongs. So here, the person could become confused about who he or she really is, about the nature of their soul. Shuva means to return the soul to where it was, what it really is. Question. Yes. Maybe we spoke about it, maybe we have a fresher. The Alter Rebbe speaks about why does God need this? Send it down, bring it back up. Why do we need this? Right? No. We're not doing the God a favor. I know, I'm questioning God himself. The Alter Rebbe speaks about it, I don't know. A good question. It's going to be a question in this Maimer. A few lines. Zoyar says on the Pasek, in Parshish Bereshis, he blew into his nostrils, Adam's nostrils, a soul of life. And the question is, what is the meaning of the word Vayipach? He blew. He blew into his nostrils. With the entire creation, it doesn't say, and God blew into the world light, or he blew into the world the sun and the moon, or he blew into the world vegetation. The term that's used constantly is, Hashem said, let there be light. Hashem said, let there be a heaven. Hashem said, let there be luminaries. Let there be vegetation. He said, let there be fish, let there be animals. As the Mishnah puts it in Prikiyav, is basara ma'amoros nivra the world was created through ten utterances, through ten speeches, ten statements. When it comes to the soul, God could have said, Vayimer Elikim, Yihi Nishmas Chayim Adam, or something like that. There should be a soul, there'll be a soul. Remember, God's words, Hashem's words, translate into energy. The words are energy. Here it says, He blew. So the Zoyar says, Man de Nafach, Mitoichai Nafach. There's a difference between speaking and blowing. The one who blows, he blows from his insides. In the projection of energy, you can't compare the energy that you exert when you speak to the energy that you exert when you blow. People can speak for a very long time, sometimes unfortunately. Some people can go for an hour, and some people can go for two hours, and some people can go for three hours, etc., 
Right. When you have to blow up a ball or an air mattress or blow shoifer, or when you're blowing, the exertion is much more intense. So you could blow for 10 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute. Perhaps if you're skilled and you know how to hold your breath and your lungs are doing well, you can do it for more, but you're going to get exhausted. Why? So the Zoya says, It takes from your pnimius, from your insides. You could see the, the blood rushing to the head. You see the redness in the face that says in Allah, you blow right, till the face of the blower becomes red. So that's what the Zoya is trying to say. You can't compare the soul to anything else in the world. But here the Balatanya takes the metaphor a step deeper. What is Vayipach? He says, The idea of Vayipach is, this breath, this Hevel, when you blow, your Hevel, what's called your breath, emits, emerges from you. Where was this breath before? It was Kolob Mekoyre It didn't have its own separate identity. It was, you don't look at a person and say, oh, I see the breath inside of you. It's subsumed, it's Kolob, it's included, submerged in the source of the person, in the root of the person. When you speak about the neshama vayipach ba'apav, what is the neshama? Ah, the neshama is his breath. In other words, the birth of a human being is God exhaling, so to speak. What is, it, what is he exhaling? He's exhaling his hevel. Where was this hevel before? The hevel was inside of him. It was it was indistinguishable from the source. It was completely subsumed and submerged in his essence, in his core. That is a neshama. It's not epis we're saying, bring back the neshama to some lofty madrega. It's not about a madrega. It's what the neshama is. Before exhaling, what was it? The hevel, the breath. That's It was all his toichias. It's all him. It's all part of him. It's completely one with the inside. What is birth? What is birth, he says? The soul, which begins with an exhaling of the Rebbeinu Shalom, descends. What do we mean it descends? It evolves many levels. It goes through a transformation from one essence to another essence. The Yarda descends to the point that it has the capacity to assume a distinct identity where it could become the vitalizing battery in the body, the mortal body of a human being in this world. But for this, the Neshama has to go through a major process after the exhaling. That's why there's a mitzvah of Ashava to bring it back, to return it to its source. To elevate the nefesh to Hashem, it should become one with the living God, to be subsumed and nichlal, submerged in the light of the infinite one, kibbit chila, as it was, as it always was. And therefore, if it always was, that is its real state. In its core, that is its real state. That's what it yearns, that's what it craves. So all of Yiddishkeit is essentially Hashavah Saveda. To allow the soul to be realigned with itself, with its own shrew mucker, with its own shrew shaydish, that is what Dveikas Belakim Chayim means. Dveikas Belakim Chayim means going back to who you really were, to who you really are, which is 
before God exhaled. Before God exhaled you outwards, you were part of His inner core, completely one with the Ein Saif. The soul is infinity. The soul is divine. It's not separate. It's just for birth to happen and for life to happen, it goes through a transformation where it assumes a distinct appearance as a creature which enters into a body and gets a new name called I. That name I is really a confusion of its true essence where it's one with the divine I and it's completely not separate. And that's what the Vayipach is trying to say. It's, it's the concept of him being expressed. This is unlike words. This is unlike words. So we have here a very fundamental description about the difference between a soul and everything else in the world. Everything else, how does creation descri- get described in the Torah? Hashem said, let there be vegetation. Hashem said, let there be fish. Right? So his words create the fish. His energy creates the fish. Hashem said, and there was. So he speaks, he commands, and as a result of this command, this energy creates a substance called fish, a substance called mammals, a substance called the sun, a substance called light. With the soul, it doesn't say he said, let there be a soul, and a soul is created. With everything else, as he said it was, and so it was. The soul is vayipach ba'ap of He blows the soul. So you see the difference. What is the soul? The soul is divine energy. That's what it is. Man It's not he blows and as a result of the blow, something else is created. The nature of the soul is the blow. It's the breath itself. And he said, let there be a soul and there is a soul. Huh? Good question. You're asking. The words also come from inside. Where were the words before you spoke these words? Also inside of you. Why are you saying this only on the Ficha? Say this also on Dibur. The words were inside of you. Because there really is no Amira. We think of it as Amira. It's really God's thought to create the world. Basar Mamoros means that we put it in Lashon Amira so that we can understand. But God created the world with thought. It didn't really emerge into Amira. God was also I think there's two points. Point number one is words, as I said before, um, bring forth a much more external level of energy. Right? The person doesn't have to exert himself so much. The Hevel, it comes from a deeper space within. That's number one. In other words, there's the external versus the internal. Number two, the words create something else. The neshama is the breath itself. That is what it is. It's the breath that becomes a neshama. The neshama is the breath itself. As he puts it here, the neshama is... Yeah, what is it? What? Yeah, there's an expression in, in, by the Balatanya that a neshama is elakus nasa nivra. It's divinity, it's godliness that assumes the identity of a nivra, of a created being. But what is it that you created? Not a new substance, yesh me'ayin. 
right? Like a new substance you created. You said, let there be, so there was. Rather, it is the Hevel itself that becomes the Neshama. It's godliness. The Neshama is Elikos, it's divine. That is what it is. Ebes. Ebes. That's what he was saying. When you speak about the words inside of you, you don't have the form of words inside of you. You have thoughts inside of you, right? The thoughts take on a form of words, which is already something else. The hevel, the way it's inside, it comes out. The breath that's inside comes out. So that's what a neshama is. A neshama is divine. It's the way divinity is externalized. It's concretized. It emerges from inside into outside. That's what it is. It happens to work out very nicely with the Lush that we have by Tzadik and by Yosef Alamov. I mean, he was collected back. Collected back. By Yosef Alamov, you gathered back to his people. Yeah. So in other words, birth is God exhaling. And death is God inhaling. That's basically what happens. The neshama, the neshama, it doesn't die. It 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 goes to where what it always was. It's part of the hevel of Ein Every person has a soul. Every creature has a soul. It's a different type of soul. The Jew has a Jewish soul. The non-Jew has a non-Jewish soul. Everyone has a soul, but it's their own type of soul. So essentially, this is what dveikus means. Dveikus means you're not going to something else. When you say dveikus and Hashem, dveikus belakim chayim, the neshama is going back to what it really is. That is what its nature is. That is what its pristine identity is. It's going back to that space where it's completely one with the Ein Saif. Before Hashem blows, before this blessing, does, is there, um, is the, isn't it said that let us make man and then he blew? Excellent question. By Yoimir Elikim Nasa Adam, right? That's the entire Adam, including the body. Here we're speaking about specifically the Neshama. Does that explain like pre-homo sapien mammals? Perhaps. And also the Vayoimir is Nasa Adam on the body and also the soul, the way it comes down as a Nivra. The soul in its originality is Vayipach. So now we ask this question. Now this has to be understood. If this is the meaning of tshuva, what is the purpose of the neshama coming down in such an intense fashion? It comes down from such a lofty place to such a lowly place. It takes a tremendous amount of toil, many exertions to return it the way it was. And halavai, you should even be able to return it sufficiently. We know that roads, many roads are full of danger. And these roads are very dangerous. The pathways that the soul comes down through and now it has to be returned. It's very dangerous pathways. Why did Hashem want this whole marocha to happen? What's the point of all of this? What's the objective of all of this? The neshama could have remained what it was, and all is good. 
We say all is well that ends well. But here we're not even sure that it ends well. That's what he says. It's not Parshat. Halavai. You should, there's an expression in Chazal, Halavai You should be able to leave that you, like you came in. It's a very, very complicated journey. Because the, the, the identity is very confusing. The Vayipach Ba'ap of Nishmas Chaim is the truth of the soul. But as the soul comes into a body and the person begins to live life, it becomes a very intense struggle to even recognize yourself as divine. To be able to recognize yourself as part of the Ein Soif. To be able to see that you are truly subsumed in infinity and there's never a separation between you and Hashem. To be able to understand that all of Tshuva really means returning to who you are. And by the way, we see from here that sometimes the way people understand Tshuva is completely misconstrued. Often people conceive of the idea of Tshuva as reminding them how bad they are. You have to do Tshuva. Tushan Tshuva. When are you going to do Tshuva? Or I hope one day you'll do Tshuva. In other words, it underscores how bad you are and Tshuva will liberate you. When according to this definition, it's exactly the other way around. Tshuva means, look how good you are and how inseparable you are. And therefore, it's all about you returning to you. Not you returning to me. You returning actually to you. Which is part of the Ein Saif. But what do you need this whole mishmash of a tremendous, if it's a little journey, it's not a little journey to get the Neshama from that space, to be able to be in a completely different space where when you speak to a person about the fact that he is one with one or she is one with one, and there's absolutely no separation between you and infinity at any moment, it's a completely novel idea. We don't, we don't even recognize these ideas. It takes a lot of work even to understand what he's saying. Even to see yourself in this way. Like, what does this mean? What does it mean? I'm one with eight sides. I come from eight sides. I am who I am. I'm busy dealing with my mortgage. <laughs> Whatever you're dealing with. Everyone with their own parshas, right? Those are the small stuff. And then there are the bigger stuff. So what does it even mean to understand a person in this way? Just the understanding of it is very novel. The understanding to be able to look at yourself. And to be able to say that what tshuva means for me is to be able to understand that I am... God's breath, the way it's still inside of God. Because remember, when you speak about Hashava, Tshuva, it's not like Hashava Saveda in the literal sense. In the physical sense, you lose a watch. I find a watch in Shul, I say, whose is it? It's yours, I give it back to you. While the watch was in my domain, it wasn't in your domain. It was alienated from you. Here, you're dealing with a different situation. It's not like when God exhales, the breath leaves him. Because he happens to be in the space where it exhales also, Right? Less asar there's no space devoid of him. So even as the soul is exhaled from God and then goes through a whole transformation and descends, that's only from our perception. From our perception, we look at the soul and we give it different names. From the true perception of Hashem, the soul is still inside. So what does it mean to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am divine breath, the way it's still in the source. It's not even separated from the source. The way the breath is in the source, that's what I actually am. That's what you are. What do you think that does to a person? If you can experience yourself as divine breath before it's exhaled. Before it's exhaled. You think you look at yourself as a shmata? You look at yourself as an evil person? You look at yourself as an incapable victim of demons, skeletons, ghosts, and darkness? 
You look at yourself as a losing, hopeless proposition, as a mistaken blimp on the surface of the planet, a random error after 15.3 billion years of gases exploding all over the place. It's one definition, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You look funny. It's an introspection. Yeah. The source for you is nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know, Why is it I met a teenager yesterday, two days ago, came to see me. So, uh, so I asked her about her opinion of herself. So she told me, you cannot have a worse person. You will not find a person worse than I. You will not find such a worse person. God hates me, I hate me, everybody hates me. And she explained to me why she thinks so. So I tried to tell her what it says in this Maimah. She thought, I literally, I was absolutely crazy. Like, what are you talking about? I don't know about this. But this is really what every, every Jew needs to know about themselves. This is what every person has to know about themselves. If you can close your eyes and inhale, <laughs> that's why when you say breathe, to breathe, it's not stamma a random new age invention. The process of inhaling and exhaling is really a very cosmic process. Birth is God exhaling. And coming back to the source is God inhaling. So we go through that same process as we will see. Going out and going in. Now the soul had to go out. God did not want the soul to stay inside. But essentially, even when it goes out, what is it? It's His Hevel that came out. And because it's His Hevel that came out, so there's the element of the soul itself, which is literally one with the essence and completely inseparable. And nothing it can do can separate it, because that is what it is. So Dveikas Belakim Chaim doesn't mean you're glued to some big superman we called God. Dveikas Belakim Chaim means Dveikas too your own innermost identity, the way you are divine breath in its source, completely inseparable from that. And when the person can always go back to that space, that's called tshuva. That's what it means to do tshuva. To do tshuva means it's a consciousness more than anything else. It's a consciousness of being in that space and living from that space. The question though is, this, these are words but the identity becomes very confusing. And because it becomes very confusing, so he wants to know, Why did the Rebbeinu Shalom devise such a strategy, such a plan? What's the objective of all this? This we have to understand, the Pasuk in Veschanan and Ekev, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem, your God, is an Eish, a fire which eats up, it consumes. It's a blazing, consuming fire. What does this mean? So Lenny, when you grew up in Yeshiva, they said Hashem is an Eish Oichla. What did it sound like? Uh, Very good, thank you. He's definitely a good foil. I knew I could count on you. <laughs> to create the props. He's the foil. Terrorize it. He's a terrorist. Hashem Alekech Eish Oichla. He wants to terrorize. That's what fire does. He's going to eat you up. He's a consuming flame. Right? Literally, a fire you stay away from. So now, understand psychologically what this does to this young boy. They teach you, when you see a fire, you run. Chas v'shalom is a fire in the house, you run for your life. Because fire kills. Now you say you want to understand what God is, I'll tell you. He's a fire that consumes. 
So psychologically, instinctively, you say, you got to run. And then they tell you the purpose of life is dveikus, to go back, to come close. Ooh, this plays with people's minds very heavily. What is Judaism? This is what people struggle with, this posseg. They may not know that it's about this posseg, but it's this paradox. What do you want me to be connected to? That which you always tell me to run away from. So he says, we have to understand what this posseg means. Peter shal derech mashal... Fire, by nature, cannot shine, it cannot be grasped to be called fire or light if it doesn't have a wick or logs holding it down. Unlike other existences, they can exist as self-contained realities. You have a cup of coffee, you have a table, you have fire... The fire will dissipate, the fire will dissolve, the fire will, so to speak, go back to its source. Unless you have something forcing it, forcing it down. You need a wick, you need oil, you need logs, whatever it is, twigs, branches, paper, whatever the substance is, that's flammable, that keeps the flame going. Fire on its own will depart. It will be nostalgic back to its lamaila. Its original elements. This is Pshat Hashem Alekecha Eish Oichlo. When you say Hashem is Eish, what the Pasuk means is this. Dvar Hashem, a little bit, will be a little different than Lenny's interpretation. A little different. Hashem creates everything with His words. It says in Tehillim Lamed Gimel. Many say it Shabbos morning. With the word of Hashem, heavens were made. With the spirit of His mouth, the breath of His mouth, all of its legions. Ten utterances the world was created. My words are like fire. What does it mean they're like fire? Naturally, they depart back to their source. From our flesh, my flesh, I could perceive God. The power of speech is rooted in the element of fire. Words all emerge from the breath of the heart going through the kana, the kana is the windpipe, and the heart is ike yisoy Words don't originate in the mouth. If you ever go for lessons in how to speak, they'll always tell you, you have to speak from the, the, huh? the diaphragm, the heart, the inner voice chambers. It goes through the kana. It has to go through the windpipe and then come out through the mouth. And the lave is associated with the place of fire in the body the place of passion, the place of heat, the place of intense emotions. The word hevel has these three configurations. Hey, vez, lamed makes up breath, it makes up halev, which is the heart, and it makes up the word lahav. You know what lahav is? Flam fire, like his slavos, passion, fire, lahav. Hevel, halev, lahav. Because dibur is rooted in when people also speak, you could see how interested they are in their words. 
the tone of the words express also emotion. The physical source of the words is ultimately the lave. So, Bidvar Hashem Shamayim Nasu Haloikoi Dvarai Kaesh. Kivayachel, this is only a marshal mipsari. Hashem's words are also rooted in the element of fire. Hashem Alekech. Upratus Hanim Shal Echul Maila Beirin Saif Baruchu. Ain Dai Beer Kanam of Wurba Makamacher Vamaskil Yovit. The details of the nimshal, how this exactly works with the infinite light, is not enough. It's not. A, there's not enough space or time to explain now, and it's been explained or will be explained elsewhere. And the one who understands will understand. The Hamaskil, the wise one, will understand. But Nimtza, but what's the result of this vart? She'i efsher lehikare b'shem oir Hashem. The summation of it is, just like fire, can only be called fire or light if it's being grasped by something else that holds it down. The only way you can define God's energy as light as light is only when it gets grasped and concretized by something holding it down. For example, physical action, physical reality. That's when it could be called The Eish can't exist without a substance holding it down on its own. It goes back to its source. The only time you can call it when can you call it light? If there's something, so to speak, concretizing it, holding it down, because naturally it goes back to its source. And he explains. There's a Pasuk in Tehillim. Forever your words stand in heaven. What does this mean? Pshat is Kidvar Hashem Shaboy Shamayim Nasu Nitzav Sham La'olam. The word of Hashem with which heaven was created stands there forever. Ki La'olam Hu Mahavim Meyayin Liyesh. He is forever creating the world from nothing to something. Don't think that the words that created the universe were a one-time event. La'olam Dvarchen Nitzav Shamayim. The words you spoke here Akia are constants. They're always standing in the heaven. Which word stands in heaven? How are the heavens standing? Based on the words that I said, let there be a firmament in the water. That thing with which the heaven was created, which are the divine words, they're standing in the heavens forever. This is the Lashon in the Medrash Tehillim. Creation is not a one-time event. Creation is a perpetual event. Every single moment, the world is being recreated through words. In other words, the very substance and very essence of the entire universe, the entire cosmos is the divine words. The words, the energy with which Hashem created the world initially during the process of creation, that energy, those words continuously invigorate and give vitality to all of existence 
everything that was created through his word, which is the smallest and largest creations, and it's la'olam, it's, it's forever. It, oh, those words always have to recreate them. That's the energy that recreates the entire universe. Constantly. Initially, the world was created by his will on his own. He wants kindness and he decided to create. But to continue to exist forever from nothing to something, and as we said, it has to be recreated. In the beginning, it was his own initiative. Afterwards, it depends on my satachtainim, on the work of those who live here below. The Posik says in Yeshaya, Kol Whatever is called by my name and for my respect, for my honor, I created, I formed, and I also did it. What does this mean? It says, Chazal say covet refers to Torah Shem Derech Klara Mach Mitzvah Sesev Vishasam Mitzvah Sloisasa. Refers to the 365 mitzvahs, negative ones, and 248 positive ones. Shehemim Chinis Kalim Lashros Eira Shem Machin Lashiftoi Shiyeloidir Betachtoinim. They are the vessels through which the light of Hashem can dwell. They become a home for His dwelling. So that, that he should have a home in the lower elements of reality. They could be compared to the wick and the logs that hold on to the light that it should not depart above. They are the wicks that hold on to the fire. Without them, it does not stay. The fire departs. Hashem means... Naturally, the words are not supposed to stick to the world. Naturally, the worlds are supposed to depart, like fire. It's supposed to go back to its source. The fact that it's called Oyr Ein Soif, it illuminates, it is perceived, is only because there's something holding on. There's something holding on to this Oyr that allows it to remain in the universes. It's only because of Kvaidi and Kavad Alatayra that it could be Brasav Yitzartiv Afasisiv. It holds on and it allows the earth to become Ayr and to remain existent in this world. As he shall continue to explain what this means. Page 50 on the top it says Mitzayra Achare. So the Pasuk says, the Navi says, My words are like fire. Moshe Rabbeinu says to the Jewish people, Ki Hashem elekecha esh oichlehu. Hashem is a consuming fire, a consuming esh. One of the explanations in this metaphor of esh, Dvarai is keish, he says that fire could not be contained, it could not exist, it cannot continue to exist, and therefore cast its warmth and its light, if it's not grasped down by something to hold it down. It's not a self-contained reality, where it just exists. You constantly need to feed it. You constantly need to hold on to it. On its own, it, it, it departs. It's nostalgic. If I don't have the keli, the psila, the wick, the eitzim, the wood, or whatever the substance, the flammable substance is, to fuel it and to contain it, my ash is gone. He says it's chayzer, chayzer, uh, 
It's nostalgic to the Yisoyde age to the element of fire. And he said, and this is also true when you're speaking about godliness, that to speak about Oyr Hashem, light as in fire, fire casts light, to speak about light, to speak about energy of Hashem, <coughs> you must have something to be toif as the earth, to be toif as the light. So now he continues to explain this theme. We are uh, in the second column, page 50, 1, 2, 3, 4, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Well, we'll start from, 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 uh, from line, uh, line 3. She'yilay dira betachtoinim. In order to have a dira, a home for Hashem in the lowest reality in the world, heim heim, they, the mitzvahs, are kedimyan hapsila va'etzim shabahem nechazar shalei istalik lamayel lechasvashom. Koil hanikra b'shmi v'lechvoidi, it's because of my covet, the Torah and the mitzvahs, that Bria can continue to exist, meaning that the Ur will not depart back to its source. Kehine, the reason is to explain this, because lav urcha de malke lishtoi milin Here there's a new concept. This is an expression of Zoyhar. Lav urcha de malke lishtoi bimilin Meaning, it's not the way of the king to speak words of a peasant. Peasant-like words. Milin de hedyoyte means words of a hedyot. A hedyot is a simpleton, a boar, a peasant. Urcha means the way, the derech. Lav urcha de malka. It's not the mannerism of a king. Lishtoyi in Aramaic. To speak milin de hedyoyte. In other words, from somebody's language, you could see who they are. What do we say in the Haggadah? Chochem mahu oimer. So there's a chsidish avart. Chachem Mahu Oimer. What you are, you reveal through your words. Roshem Mahu Oimer. Tam Mahu Oimer. Lazareden, you know, let, let him speak. <laughs> People, when they speak enough, they reveal who they are. Yeah, they may be able to, you know, they may be able to train themselves, they may be able to practice like a parrot for a few sentences, but at some point, you let them speak enough and everything comes out. There's certain milin we call milin It's how a peasant speaks, how a boar speaks. There's how a king speaks, how a prince speaks. So the Zoya says, But here's the surprise. What are these milin the Zoya is referring to? What are the peasant-like words? And you know what the Zoya is talking about? Asaramamaris. <laughs> The ten utterances with which God created the world. The Gemara said, the mission says, So the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, what are the Asarim Amaris? He goes through all the Vayoymers in Bereshis. Everything goes through all the creations of Doimim, Tzimeach, Chaim, Edabe, the final one, Nasa, Adam, let's make man. The Gemara says there's only nine Vayoymers. The Gemara answers, Bereshus, Nami, Maimer, who Bereshus is considered the tenth, Bereshus is number one. So the Zoya says, Lav There's something off. It's not the way of the king to speak peasant-like words. Now this is very strange. Why is that called Miladad Yaita? We spoke before about the sun and the moon. Pretty impressive characters. Pretty impressive creatures. 
This is the whole work of, of, of the cosmos, the whole work of cosmology, the whole Bria Sa'olam, in all of its details and nuances that happened during Bria Sa'olam. So the Zoya says, eh, love Urcha de Malka. So he says, Pidush, Milin Dichdi, She'enon Me'erkai. What's that Milin Dichdi? Milin Dichdi doesn't mean bad words. Milin Dichdi means it's not words that befit him. They're, they're not that it's bad words. For somebody, it's not we're talking, we're not talking here about nivel path. It's not miladad yaita. That's nivel path. That's disgusting. It's vulgar. It's derogatory. We're not talking about that. Miladad yaita, hedjit is not a bad person. Hedjit is not a vulgar person. Right? We say, Altahi birchas hedjit kalabaynecha. Yeah. A yid once came to the Ragachova gun and he asked him for a bracha. So he said, it's not for me. You can go to the Kohen. The Ursameh, the Meshachachma was also the Rav and says, go to the coin for brachas. I don't give brachas. So he says, Rebbe, the Gemara says, The blessing of a peasant shouldn't be light in your own eyes. So a bikal gives a bracha. It shouldn't be light in your eyes. You? So the Rakhachava says, What do I need to give you a bracha with a kalvachaymer? You give yourself a bracha without a kalvachaymer. <laughs> You do without a <laughs> This was his style. Uh, no hold bars by him. He was, you know, he, he said what he thought. He thought what he said. He thought more than what he said, but he said what he thought. So, hedy uh, doesn't mean it's not vulgar. Hedy means it's not words that befit him. Becoming. Huh? <laughs> okay. You're saying love melech. But yeah, you have, there's a royal commu- way of communication. There's words you say, ah, these words befit the person. They express the soul of the person, the wisdom of the person, the subtlety of the person, the depth of the person. The words that bring out the Gedankengang, the Gedankengang, the... The thought process, the godless, the personality, the amkus of the soul. They don't reflect as erech. They're not befitting him. What are these words? So he says, All the universes the physical universes and the spiritual universes, the higher ones and the lower ones. Higher ones means even the lofty spiritual universes that we don't have a clear understanding of. They're not tangible. All of them are called miladehadiyoyta. What's his miladehadiyoyta? Not that they're not impressive. They're infinitely impressive. They're incredibly, incredibly deep, incredibly powerful. But the question is, do they express? Do they express... The one who created them. Are these words that express them? He says it's all milade dyoita legabe kadush baruchu. Bikhvaide baatsmai, shuram vinisa laim revovis madregis adin kates vitachlas vikula mamish kaloicha shiva kame. He's exalted above them. Myriads, revovis is ten thousand, ribu is ten thousand. Revovis is many groups of ten thousand, myriads. So he says myriads and myriads of madregas, but don't think I'm talking about numbers. Adin kates, infinitely. V'tachlis to end to without ad infinitum without any end v'kula mamish and all of them kaloi chashiva kamei 
are without, like, without Hashivas in his presence, what do we mean? They completely do not bespeak, reflect, or mirror their speaker, their author, their designer. You have Melech Basav a king, a human king, a mortal king. He has in his treasure house, in his treasure chest, he has thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousand, myriads and myriads of quantities of gold and silver. But all he talks about is that he managed to go out and he got some pieces of mud. Can you imagine? He got some mud. He collected some offer, some earth, some cheres, some earthenware. As cheres say, Adama, shards, shards of earth. It's a strange king. He has elef, Allah, from the Bible of Yeah, And he's busy with, he's busy with, with collecting. Huh? He's busy collecting tzoya. He's busy, he's busy. He's busy collecting tzoya. Yeah. A person goes... I was at a bar mitzvah not long ago. A guy had a bar mitzvah. So the bar mitzvah extended what people do with money, okay, I guess, uh, whatever. Different tastes for different people. So this guy had a bar mitzvah. To go from one side of the shmogas board to the other side of the shmogas board, you have to, you have to do exercise. You have to walk. Yeah? You have to make it filos to get shetolichenu l'shalom and ikiv sachzirenu l'shalom. But so that was the that was the hardest thing. Yeah. So every conceivable type of I never knew that there's so much food in the world. I never knew. I mean, I read Asana Soil and Kule Betuve. I never knew it means uh, all these things. So I never saw I never saw so many types of meat in my life. I didn't know so many behemoths in the world, different types, different cuts, and so forth. And uh, and uh, so now imagine somebody is there, right? And they're starving. So what do they do? They go to the garbage dump outside and they, they go between the garbage bags and they find up a bone. It's a bone and they start eating the bone. Yeah, There's something off. There's something off. For the dog who's starving, he goes to the bone. Nebuch, for the homeless beggar who has nothing. So he goes to the garbage bag and he tries to find some of the shirayim. Yeah. So that's the question. This melech has kesavizov and yet, what is he talking about? And what is he busy with? He's busy with a few shards of earth that are worth less than a dime. They're barely Shavapruta. We know clay cheris, not even clay cheris, it's shivri clay cheris. It's, 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 cheris is made from, it's earthenware. It's shards, shards of clay, earthenware, mud. Basically earth and water. So what's his marshal? Milinda From our perspective, the world is the most impressive place you could live in. It's incredible, it's crazily incredible. Look up. And see, see the mystery, see the depth, see the incredible, the incredible wisdom. That's from our perspective. When you understand anything about the Melech, the Zoyar says, Lav It completely does not reflect. This is a marshal. But he right away says, Don't think that the Nimshal is like the marshal. The Nimshal is In other words, between the marshal and the Nimshal, you have to imagine infinity. It's not like the metaphor captures the idea. Between the metaphor and the idea, there's also infinite space. It's important when he says it's a marshal for a nimshal, he says, <laughs> Don't think you understood the nimshal by understanding the marshal. Why? 
Because the, the disparity between gold and mud is not infinite. It's not a clay cheris is worth 50 cents. Clay zav, maybe you could buy for $14,000. If it's real clay zav, maybe $100,000. That's not infinite. Between 50 cents and $10,000, there's a relationship. Vaharaya, if you collect enough 50 cents, you might get $20,000. And even a billion dollars, there's still a relationship. There was a teacher, a Muhammad, he once told Rothschild that if I would be you, I would be richer than you because I wouldn't quit being a teacher. <laughs> so I would be you and I would be, still be richer than you. I would still be a Muhammad. There is some type of yachts. He says, V'yoysim ikein lenkets. Nechshav l'gabe HaKadosh Baruch Hu l'sapir b'dvar Hashem ba'asada ma'amores yihi o'r yihi rakiyah. This king who's sitting on the greatest treasure in the world and he's talking about the mud that he managed to pick up on his finger and that's what he's analyzing and dissecting and that's what he's busy with. He's basically is in this presence of riches, but he goes into a garbage dump to play in the sand. So he says, much more infinitely is it when Hashem decides to invest divinity in talking about the ten utterances, that they should become Dvar Hashem. Yehi'er should become a God word. Yehi'erakiyah should be a divine word. Shein milinde diyoite yoisim me'afer v'cheres l'gabe akesav azov. It's called miladad yoyte, peasant-like words, much more than earth relative to gold and silver. At the end of the day, kesef and zav are also material minerals, and they're doimim. They're part of the inanimate world, the inanimate universe, what we call minerals, doimim. Not only that, where do you think you find gold and silver? Where do you find... Ultimately, it comes from offer. The kesef and the zav are mixed with sediments, but you have to refine the silver, and you have to examine and scrutinize and separate the, what is it called? The, the, from the ore. O-R-E. Yeah, the ore, the, the, the psoilus, and you have to separate it, and then you look at the offer, the offer has no value, Lagabi, the silver and the gold. When you talk about the world, we're not only talking about this world, even the higher worlds, and even there's no and no thought of these worlds can grasp them at all. What is the idea being conveyed here? That the Zohar calls the Asarim Amaris Lav Urche the Malka Lishtoi B'Milin Generally speaking, if you're going to take a look at a p at a home, a mansion, and you say, "Who built this mansion? Who is the architect?" You say Ploini Ben Ploini. You say, "Ah, wow! You could see this genius. Yeah. Who built it? This in this contract? You could see his Chushan building. Who composed this symphony?" Who wrote this song, this ballad? And you'll say, this composer. You see the guyness, yeah? You read a book, and you read how it's written, and what is written, and it expresses the author. You look at a piece of art, and it expresses the artist. Generally, when talent creates talent, when the artist creates talent, he or she is expressing themselves via that creation. Whatever that creation is, Maybe creation of a speech, maybe creation of a music, maybe the creation of a piece of art, the creation of a home, whatever type of creation it is 
physical or verbal, concrete or part of our imagination, but the creation expresses the one who created it. And when you analyze the product, you could see at least something of the depth, the genius, the creativity, the imagination, the colorfulness, the talent of the one who said it. The same is true with a speech. Sometimes you hear words, the richness of the words, the choice of the words, the concept being conveyed through the words, and you say, This expresses the one the one who said it. You know, you see the Mahalach HaMachshava, you see how they think, you see their creativity, their depth, etc., etc. That's normally how we understand things. It's true in every single creation, whatever it is. Now you, take a, you ask a question about the world. The world is Hashem's artwork. It's God's handiwork. B'dvar Hashem shamayim nasu, uveruach puiv, kol Pasuk says, "Eresh amecha, maiseyetz boisecha, yoreach v'chayichavim, asher kainanta shemayim mesapim kvoit kel, maiseyad of magad haraki, etc." All these types of psukim in Tehillim and in Tanakh. Here is the question: Does the universe express the artist? Does the universe express the one who conceived it, the one who spoke it, the one who designed it, the one who created it? <laughs> on one level, of course, I can't make the world. I can't build the world. There's a Yerushalmi who says, "I feel a cold boy Even if everyone comes together, they can't create a mosquito. They can't create a mosquito. They can't create. They can't create a bee. They can't create a butterfly. With everything, with all the brilliance that a bee has, that a mosquito has, just one mosquito. Never mind everything else that our world has." They can't put together one mosquito. So the world is like, wow, I can't make it, you can't make it. Does it express? Of course it expresses. The world expresses God. This is His handiwork. This is, look, this is my book. This is my piece of art. This is my song. This is my mansion. Take a look, and I allow you to live in it. That's one component. That component is a very genuine component. But here, he now comes to the next step. And the next step is, actually, more than the world expresses him, it's actually the other way around. The world doesn't express. For Hashem to create the world, he had to allow himself to utter milin de words that are completely not befitting, words that are completely not expressive, of his reality. In other words, the prerequisite for creation was not self-expression. The prerequisite for creation was self-suspension. Transcendence of self. It wasn't revealing, it was concealing. Not an act of expression, but an act of containment. Why is that? Why do you say that? And the answer is, because even Ganeidin Ha'elyon, even the highest spiritual worlds, which are infinitely greater, deeper, more divine than our world, and certainly our world, which is also incredibly and infinitely profound, nonetheless, it captures nothing 
of the true absolute infinity of its creator. What it reflects is a certain wisdom, no question. An incredible wisdom, Lagabayas, An infinite wisdom, Lagabayas. But Lagabe, its true creator, he's actually being contained, he's being concealed. It's not expressing the true Ein Saif. Wisdom itself by us is very limited. It's a limited right. idea. Yeah. Right. Right. And he says, and lace machshavet I read the book of the author and I can grasp, at least I can grasp some of it. He says, Lace machshavet, no thought, no consciousness in the world, even the highest level of consciousness, could have a tfisa in him. Therefore, we call it milindahadyaita. It doesn't express the truth of the Ein Saif. doesn't express it. Does it express tremendous stuff? No question. Does it express stuff that we won't even understand if we work our whole life and after 5,000 years we still haven't scratched the surface? MS. But all of that, and even more than that, is still Milundahed Yoyte. It doesn't capture him. And that's what he means, Kula Kamei Keloi Chashev. Legabe, his presence, if you want to say, ah, this is it, this doesn't capture the ultimate truth. This doesn't capture and express it. Does it come from him? Of course it comes from him. But it's like a tip of an ayam. It's like a drop of the ocean, saying this drop of the ocean, this is the ocean. That's why the Zoyar calls it Mili de Hedyoite. Asarim Amar is a Mili de The Zoyar now asks, what are not Mili de What's not Mili de so this is Aseris Hadibris. Aseris Hadibris, that's already not Miladed Yoyt. That's already not peasant-like words. Now, this changes the conception of creation. If you look at creation as an act of self-expression, so then basically, in creation, you have the Creator. It captures the magnitude of Creator. If you look at creation as an act of self-suspension, so then, the prerequisite for creation was what's known in the Lashon of Kabbalah, the tzimtzum, the containment, the concealment to allow for it. To be able to allow for milindad yoyta, I'm going to invest my energy in those realities that don't even reflect the true infinite grandeur of the Creator. So you can't say, ah, here you see what Hashem is. There's an expression of the Alter Rebbe in Lekut HaToyer in Shir Hashirim. He says, Loi zehu ikr ha'lekus masha oilamis mishavim mimenu. You should never define godliness by the fact that the worlds are created from Him. In other words, to define Hashem as a bashefer, as a creator, is really an insulting description. Why? Not that He's not a creator. He is a creator. But the fact that he's a creator, this doesn't describe the truth of Elikus. What's expressed in creation is incredibly, but it doesn't capture, it doesn't define the truth of what Elikus is, of what godliness is. Yeah. Although you'll say what exists in this world, the type, the wisdom that exists in this world, the brilliance that exists in this world, the design of it, of course, and no Nivra can even begin to understand it, never mind do it. But nonetheless, Lagabi, the truth of Ein Saif, this does not express what the truth of Elikus is. It's Milindahed Yoyta. It's the king compressing himself, articulating himself in words, in energy, in the cosmos, 
which is like the king who has Kesavazov and he's dealing with Afar and Cheres, and completely not the same metaphor. As he said, it's an infinitely more remote metaphor. As you've said many times, this is this is what we do any, every time we speak. So we're limiting our we're, we're we're watering down our thoughts in order to put them into words that people can. Right, but the question is, if it's milidahed yoyte, you always have to you always have to limit in order to express. That's true, but the question is, what is it primarily? Primarily, I'm trying to express myself. I have to figure out how to express myself, but it's primarily a tool of it's primarily a tool of expression. But it's, it's also more quantitative. You're limiting quantitatively the extent of what you're going to say. Here, that's the point of this. Ram Malami says that it's qualitative. It's not. It's not just a lesser yeah. number. Like this. Mm-hmm. So the limitation is a more fundamental type of, of restriction mm-hmm. limitation. Yeah. Rabbi, in actuality, though, this, it's not like this, this is the bottom of, of Hashem. Meaning to say that this is like the what we're explaining here. Because in essence, it's not bad or good. No, not you bad. Yeah. It's, no, not bad it's or good. Express that we understand it. That's why he's saying in these yeah. words. Yeah. 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 So, you're saying everything is insignificant in relation to Hashem. So, what does it mean? Hashem says. Yeah. No, it, it doesn't mean insignificant and it doesn't have significance. If it wouldn't have significance, he wouldn't create it. It means. It doesn't capture what a lakus is. You understand? It doesn't capture what a lakus is. You want to say Hashem is the Bashefer? You're not really saying anything. Again, you're saying a lot. You're not really saying anything. I have to qualify. Of course, you're saying a lot when you say Reboyne Shalaylam. Can you use the phrase Okay. But not like they told it to you when you were a kid. As long as you don't use that phrase, that's fine. But if you want to say Sepastnishtia. Sepastnish, like, uh, really, you hear, you hear a key, that's what you're busy with? <laughs> you, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank God that he's busy with you here. We wouldn't be here without you here, you hear a key. Tache Aretz Desha, that's what you're busy with? Well, we're very happy. Right? You hear murders. There should be animals, there should be fish, Nasa Adam. But that's what you're saying. Sepastnish, that's what you're busy with? This language? Drop it in Hebrew, Matimulo. Okay, yeah. Of course he wanted to do this. That's the whole Nikud of Bria Sa'ilam. This is the drama that he's going to discuss about what creation is. But first he wants to explain the Chiddush of it. Because these words, Sepastashva, you say Sepastashva, you say Zalom Atimla. Right? This is, this is it. How does it come to you? Not that you can't do it. You could. Not that the Melech doesn't own mud. He could have all the mud he wants. He'd go collect the mud of the empire. But that's your conversation by the table, that he collected mud? That's what you're busy with? Talk about your kasif, talk about your zav. Express yourself, yourself. You're going to bring in uh, Professor Einstein for, for a lecture, you're going to bring the whole community, and he's going to teach everybody the timetable. You're going to say, we're going to talk about uh, nine, nine times nine. It's important in first grade to learn it. Many of us did not. It's good to know what's nine times nine. Fine, nishka ferlech. Right? What's up? And then you're not going to write on his tombstone that he knew how to tie his shoelaces. Or he, first of all, he probably, I don't know if he did. Or he, or he knew how to change a light bulb. Now, you're going to tell me, why is that insulting? You'll write somebody, Poi Nitman, 
Pliny Almighty who changed all the light bulbs in his house. You say that's very insulting. It's not insulting. A dog changes light bulbs. An elephant changes light bulbs. A hyena changes light bulbs. They don't. This is intelligence of a human being. No question. No question, you need a human being, I don't know, only a human being, uh, your robot to change your light bulb, to sh- tie your shoelaces, to fix your doorknob. But what? Does this express? Does How much fraction, How much of a fraction of his brain power is expressed in the fact that he can change, can fix a doorknob or change a light bulb? Is it meaningful? Of course it's meaningful. Nobody else can do it. Huh? How much does it express of his brilliance? Huh? You want to describe the life of the Rambam, yeah, you'll say you know how to make an egg. Okay, it's not a small thing to know how to make an egg. Many people don't know how to make an egg, right? Create an egg, he didn't know how to make. <laughs> he didn't know how to create an egg. <laughs> Maybe he knew, but he couldn't create an egg, right? So you say, what do you mean? And when I tell you, did, what, you have to use your brain to make an egg? Of course you have to use your brain to make an egg. Of course you have to use your brain. Is it, does it require intelligence? Of course. Tying shoelace, putting on your pants, closing a zipper, all these things require, and it's not small things, especially when you see somebody who can't do it, and you appreciate this, the motor skills and the wisdom it takes. But what are you going to say? Not that it doesn't come from him. It doesn't express, it doesn't convey. It's not telling you anything about this person. It's not even zero, 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 zero point one of what exists in this soul, what exists in this brain. So you say, when you look at all the Olamas, even Ganeid and Elyon said, break nisht oiz, the emes of a lakus, not even a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, on the contrary. To the contrary. That's why the Zoya calls it, Urcha de Malka lishtoi b'milin dehediyot. Agav. To say a word in, in avoid in life that's connected to this. Okay, we should really just do one, one step. Let's just do another few lines so you'll see the what he wants to conclude here. Ella, call Mashabala Kadesh Baruch Bara Ella Lichvaidai. Comes the mission in Pirkeyavis and says, Everything Hashem created, he created for his honor. How does everybody touch it? Hashem created everything for his covet, for covet Shemayim. So somebody once asked me, he needs so much covet? Usually, imagine you say, this guy built all these moisters for his covet. It's not a very nice thing to say about somebody, right? <laughs> okay, so guy built this whole empire. One reason, likvaydai. You know, citizen Kane. Likvaydai. Everything, he's looking for covet. So this guy basically pays 10,000 people a salary. So every morning when he walks in, they should be kareyo mishtachav and they should bow down to him. It's not a compliment, yeah. So how do you understand the Mishnah? Where's Lenny when we need him? Everything he created the for his honor. What he was looking for covet? He was missing covet. And I'm gonna give him covet. <laughs> We're gonna give him covet. It's like a guy goes and he takes a group of ants, a colony of ants. Takes a hundred million ants, yeah, and he sets them up, and he says, "Okay, start marching, start marching." And if you don't give me covet, I'm going to smash all of you. And you know what the ants do? They don't give him covet. They're busy collecting their food. So you step on them and you kill them, and you're happy. Now the relationship between an ant and a human being is far closer than between man and God. In fact, ants are much smarter than most people. 
they work harder than most people. Yeah? And uh, they're quite not, they're incredible. But it's going to be a joke. And who's giving him the covet? It's like you program. Somebody once told me, I asked somebody uh, if they don't, whatever, they came to me about a relationship, a marriage. He said, we don't want to get married. I said, Do you look, are you looking for a relationship? He said, I have a relationship. I said, with whom? With my computer. I said to him, but from your computer you can get some emotional feedback, like, you know, that endearment, that love. He says, of course. I program my computer. Every morning it says, good morning, I love you. Now you understand how deep is that love. You program into the computer to tell you that I love you, so, you, so you're on your computer, stand in front of the mirror, and have the mirror tell you that it loves you. So loy boroy, Hashem creates it. He creates us, he programs us, and he says, make sure you say nice things about me, which is coming from how he programmed us. So Pashtus, this is where Pchira comes in. But the question is, what does this Lechvoide mean? Here the Balatanya teaches a whole different word. Leibar Ela Lechvoide means the only way creation can happen is through Kvoide. Meaning, Lachain, I remember Malachim, Malachim say, Kaddish, 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 Hashem Tzvoiz, and the next line, Meloi Chala Aretz Kvoide. What's the connection between the two halves of the Pasuk? They appreciate the fact that he's above and aloof, infinitely. Like we say, meaning he's exalted, we say every morning, right? Exalted over the days of the world. And we say, In other words, before Bria Salam, after Bria Salam, it's the same. And this Hashem is completely beyond creation. They don't say What's Kvoide? The Gemara says Rabbi Yochanan used to call garments that which casts honor on the person. Rabbi Yochanan didn't call it clothes. He, money means clothes, levushim. He didn't call it clothes, he called it mechabdusa, that which is mechabed the person. Tain is the balatanya, meloi cholor, it's kvoidoi. What's kvoidoi? His levushim. Kol mashabara kosh baruchu baylam alabraya lechvoidoi, meaning, shesham nislabish b'maisa mitzvah zukiyim atayra. Shom, in the world, in the earth, in planet earth, he enclosed himself through the action of mitzvahs and the fulfillment of Torah. So the mitzvahs are the levushim, his levush, his covet. The Torah is his wisdom and his ratzin, it's his covet. Meaning the earth is filled with the glory of his garment, which is his covet, which is basically the mitzvahs and Torah. The covet who gematria lamed beis, Chav Vez Vav Dalit is 32, because we have Lamed Bez and Sefer Yitzir, it says, there are Lamed Bez, Nesivo is Chachma, there are what's known as Mem Shari Bina, and Lamed Bez, Nesivo is Chachma. There's 32 pathways of Chachma, and there's 40 portals into Bina. So he says, Heim Hiluchim Vishtal Shlus Chachma, Ilah Vishtal Shlus Oilam Islamata Mata. 
The way the Chachma of Hashem evolves throughout the worlds, this 32 pathways, until it comes into the Torah Shabbat Peh that we have, that we learn, which is his Chachma, and in this world there's also many pathways. Which basically capture Torah Shabbat Peh. Each one have different facets and dimensions of wisdom, what they represent, the fundamental svaris and paradigms behind Zroyim and Moyed and Noshim and Ezek and Kachim and Taras. Because he didn't understand every suga is a separate suga. There are paradigms of Chachma that each of these Dharam represent and each one has Nesivas Arbe. That's all Kavad Lamed Beis, Nesivas Chachma. So Kol Mashabara Kadosh Baruch Hu Bay Lamay Lebroi means that the Eish needs to be held down. Hashem alekecha Eish oichlohu. What naturally happens to the Eish? It departs. How do you hold it down? You need a wick, you need logs. What's the connection with Hashem? Lav orcha de malka, lav orcha de malka yoyta. Naturally, these words, yehi or yehi rakia, should be submerged in their source, like the Eish. They shouldn't, be outward. They should be part of the source of infinity. The ability to hold on to that fire, to hold on to the way God invests His infinite energy and articulates it within finiteness, within structures and definitions of the world, that's a chiddish, that's counterintuitive, that's counter to reality, that should not be the way. Lav urcha doesn't befit Him, it doesn't express Him. So you need to hold on to the fire. You need the wicks. You need the logs that are going to hold on to it. What is that? That's l'chvoida. That's the ein kavod el That's the teira, the levush. Rabbi Yochan and Kari Lemani Mechabdusa. That's kevayachol, what holds on, what contains the oir Hashem, the esh, the fire, which naturally would depart, that it should remain invested in the world, it should remain invested in the universe. What holds on to it? That is a kolkbasha What is this kvaidoi? They are the kalim, they are the vessels for the hashra, for the indwelling of the Ur Hashem, that they should be a dirabitahtoinim, that the fire should continue to exist. Like the Psila and the Aits and the Ur shouldn't go away. This is the Laibroi. He could only create it because of the kvoideh, because you have the psila and the eitzim, which is the Torah and the mitzvahs, that so to speak, hold on to him in this world. So the malachim say, Kaddish, 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 Hashem Tzvakas. Because you have kvoideh in the aretz. So therefore that is what ultimately captures the divine itself. That captures the divine itself. The Torah and the mitzvahs. That's already not miladehadiyaita. That's what the Zoya says, Aseris Hadibris. This already expresses him. Rabbi Yochan and Karilamanim Echabdusa. This is Levushai. This already expresses him. In Kavad itself, you have Lamad Beis and Sivis Chachma. You have so many different pathways of Chachma. But this is already his Chachma law. And this is the Ein Kavad Alatayra. This is where he lives in this world. This class is brought to you by the Yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.